thank you for coming on a Friday night, a phase three opening, but uh, our last <laughs> session. So we're going to have a good, uh, good conclusion here. Okay. Uh, so be coming together toward the beloved community. So the Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, as we've uh, just do a brief recap, uh, it was in response to a very specific issue initially. It was about the pressure that the Galatians were feeling to become full-fledged Jews through circumcision. Uh, but the, Paul's response reveals uh, much broader thinking about the gospel and what it's all about. And so for such a short letter, uh, it really reveals his radical vision of life in Christ. And the grand kind of thrust of his letter can be seen as kind of the movement from uh, bondage to this present evil age uh, into freedom in the new creation. Okay, so that's kind of the overarching theme. Uh, uh, right from chapter one in the beginning, it's the present evil age. And at the end of chapter six, it's about the new creation. So the new creation that's embodied by the beloved community. Um, Paul emphatically concludes this letter with this statement in chapter six. Uh, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. Emphatic with an exclamation mark. So, but a new creation is everything, right? So that was the whole point of everything for Paul. And this is why Christ uh, gave himself. This is why the spirit was given to those who believe. It was to bring about this new creation. But this is not just a cosmic kind of abstract new creation, but it's a new creation that's concretely manifested and most concretely manifested in the creation of radically new communities, right? Uh, so these new communities would reflect the unconditioned gift of God in Christ. Um, so in other words, these communities would be formed without regard for one's worth and without um, heed to pre-existing norms of acceptability. We talked a lot about that, right? In the past few weeks, norms and whatever. And this is why in this new community, uh, there was now no Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. All were one in Christ. Uh, life in the spirit versus life in the flesh. Uh, we talked a lot about polarities uh, in the last few weeks too. And this is what St. Paul said in chapter 2. Uh, those who place their uh, life in Christ now live by the spirit. Uh, and life in the spirit is to live consistently with the truth of the gospel. Okay. Uh, so the purpose of life in the spirit was actually to really activate, enable, and enact the new community that embodies the new creation. Uh, the spirit leads to community and harmony. And the spirit is thus at the root of this beloved community that we're uh, envisioning. Uh, the spirit, however, is actively opposed by what Paul calls the flesh. And uh, so this is another dominant polarity in Paul's thinking, the spirit versus flesh. Um, uh, life in the spirit. Yeah, yeah, Paul, I did that one. So the next slide. Yeah, and I just covered that one. So the next slide. So Paul says this in chapter five, live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit and what is uh, opposed. Uh, oops, sorry. Yeah, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. Okay. Um, 
Life in the flesh is that which tears apart. So a question I had was, what is the main difference between life in the spirit and life in the flesh? According to Paul, at least, life in the spirit uh, builds up a community and harmony, while life in the flesh ruins and destroys community. Right? And Paul describes works of the flesh as this in chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, life, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Okay. Paul was not talking about these kind of, kind of moralistic and individual like more purity kind of way. Uh, that the that these are kind of bad moral things to do. That's not uh, that wasn't his focus. If you read the context carefully, uh, Paul is identifying these things as things that would destroy community, right? Works of the flesh like this uh, work to tear pe people apart. And I'm, I don't have time to go into all the historic context, but these things that he identified really worked to divide people and separate people. But life in the spirit, by contrast, it builds up life and community. So enslavement to the flesh, the honor system. I mean, human beings have an innate need for the affirmation of their worth and dignity. So in a healthy community, this is given and provided for each person. But in an unhealthy community, honor is a finite commodity and there becomes a competition for it. Honor becomes a competition where it's attached to power, status, or influence, or wealth, or things like that. Uh, this competition for honor be became a real central feature of the Roman Greek era. It's really hard to underscore here in the short talk just how central this quest and competition for honor was. As one scholar says, Honor was a precious but unstable commodity, requiring active promotion and persistent demonstration in a court of opinion that continually looked on with a critical eye. Okay, it was a precious but unstable commodity, always requiring that um, uh, active promotion and persistent demonstration. Kind of sounds like our current environment of social media too, though, doesn't it? And furthermore, uh, he says, as recent research has emphasized, almost all relations in Paul's culture and threatened by the competition for honor. Okay, so these quotes are just to really emphasize uh, how central this kind of uh, competition for honor was in the life of all these communities in this kind of Roman uh, context. People's thoughts, behaviors, and actions were shaped by this competition. And in essence, uh, Paul is saying people were enslaved to this ethos of competition for honor. And this is especially true, I think, for the Galatian people who had already been historically vanquished and stripped of their honor as people. So Paul's letter is full of warnings against slipping back into this ethos of behaviors and norms. He said, if, however, you, it's bite, sorry, if you, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. 
okay? It's, it's a warning, you know? Don't slip back into just this tendency to bite and devour each other and compete and be consumed. Okay, next slide. So modern day vying for honor among marginalized groups. So I think about our context today, and I mean, people, we're not that different. We all seek our own forms of honor and dignity. We value the esteem of those around us. And in that way, we are innately social creatures. Uh, but in society, there's a stratification, okay? A division of sorts in how this honor is doled out to the people in the society. Uh, uh, we, there becomes privileged classes of people whose honor is actually well protected. And that's part, I think, of what we mean when we uh, use the term white privilege. Uh, white people in our society have a built-in uh, honor that's protected. So within this protected uh, confine, you know, they're free to work hard, to make good choices, and find a place within our society. Of course, I mean, there's always natural competition, but uh, it becomes a competition on one's merits, on building the right networks and uh, relationships. So hard effort takes place within this protected space of honor. But those who are not part of these privileged classes, uh, those on the margins, uh, one's honor is not given, right? It must be earned on it. Not even just earned, it had to be kind of taken. It had to be claimed, it had to be fought for, right? I mean, think, I think about, for example, the first generation immigrants. Uh, they lived uh, in a time when this honor was not uh, just given, right? The Korea's national honor had been taken away by greater powers uh, in recent history. And in Canada, immigrant life stripped them of honor while they ran convenience stores and spoke little English. Didn't matter the level of education they had back in Korea here, they're just kind of a nobody. Uh, and so this need for honor, uh, the only place that they might claim some honor was in their own community and in particular in their own churches. And that's why this need for honor uh, led to competition, right? Conflict and splits in our churches um, because of this need for honor. And many of you bore the pain of these conflicts and splits and witnessing that. Uh, in racialized communities like our black communities, they already been pushed aside as we examine physically and geographically uh, even into pockets isolated from the rest of society. So as a community, they've already been kind of stripped of this honor. And within their own spaces, uh, they vie and compete for whatever honor is available in those environments. And when the honor has been taken away uh, as a community, then everyone in it, their honor is pretty and dignity is a fragile thing and it must always be guarded with vigilance. And often for a lot of youth, for example, this leads to street level competition. You know, we've, we read about kind of rising gun violence, right, in Toronto and stuff. A lot of it is actually directly attributable to this quest for honor within their own environments and confines. Um, the spike in gun violence actually recently has correlations with the rise in social media. In the old days, conflicts arose from direct face-to-face -face encounters and conflicts. Nowadays, trash talking and conflict are exacerbated through interactions via social media. Modern gang violence in Toronto is often about protecting one's honor, one's rep, so to speak. So there's a cycle of revenge because not to avenge like the 
uh, attack or death of one of your own people is to lose face and honor in that context. I think it's uh, very difficult probably for many of us uh, to understand, for those of us whose honor is kind of quite well protected now, right, by our economic status, our jobs, our neighborhoods, and our middle-class sensibilities. Our honor is more or less uh, uh, very well protected at this point. And part of the privilege of the model minority status that we talked about in the first week has been to uh, find ourselves in a relatively safe space for us to live our lives unfettered by uh, great threats to our honor, as long as generally we know and hold our place in the grander scheme of things, right? We're given our space to just be. So what's happened in our societal context is a stratification between those whose honor is quite protected and those who face daily and recurring threats to their honor. And in a context like that, it's so difficult to build community because of the continuous competition for that honor. <laughs> life in the spirit, a life that builds harmony and community. <clears throat> so life in the spirit brings about freedom, as we talked about, from previous norms and notions of worth. One has found freedom in Christ. But Paul says this in chapter 5. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence uh, or the flesh. That's another translation. Uh, but through love become slaves to one another. So for Paul, freedom is not kind of the freedom from any allegiance or to do anything you want. But rather, it's the freedom to choose where you place that allegiance. And so in Christ, it's a freedom uh, from prior norms and prior notions of worth but it's a freedom to now become slaves to each other in love, okay? Uh, because Christ has given his life to us without regard to our worth and honor, we now confer that gift onto others as well. So honor is actually still present. Paul doesn't eliminate this honor system, but the previous system of honor has now been subverted. Honor is now built on love, service, and self-giving. So those who can do that are given honor. And the fruit of the Spirit build up this new community. The fruit of you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. So again, these are not just things to develop one's individual kind of moral character superiority. These are fruit for the purpose of building up community. When this fruit is born then the new community can thrive. So faith is the mark of life in Christ. Uh, it's the evidence by practice of community built without regards to one's worth. Okay, that's a very wordy thing, so let me unpack that a little bit. Uh, Paul said this in chapter 5, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. So this is that polarity. Paul is now saying in Christ, that flesh, all that stuff that led to competition for honor and tearing down a community, we've crucified it, right? Along with the tendencies of it. But now we live in the Spirit. So Paul's really saying, let's really live by that Spirit, not by the old ways of competition, and faith for Paul, it's not something that just takes place in our minds or subjectively, individually, okay? Faith is actually the outward sign or mark or evidence of life in Christ. 
So the evidence of faith is the practice of a community guided by the spirit that bears the fruit of the spirit. So you see, this is actually a, a, a much deeper understanding of faith than kind of the Lutheran a version that many of us probably grew up with, that faith is just a belief that Jesus Christ is Lord, then I am saved. Paul is uh, talking about a much more um, profound uh, view of faith. The evidence of faith is not something we do. Faith is evidence of our life in Christ. That's evidenced by uh, how our community takes shape. Okay. So Paul again warns, uh, let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. Right? He said this right after, if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Paul does not want a, us to slip back into this old way. Because that was the hallmark of the old community. In the new community, love becomes the standard. Uh, it becomes a place of bearing one another's burdens. And part of bearing, bearing one another's burdens is understanding that people are coming from many different broken and hurt places and that this will result in a lot of unfavorable characteristics in people. Broken people come into community with selfishness, dishonesty, right? malice, bad character, and many other negative attributes. And these are things that do indeed destroy uh, community. But to this, Paul exhorts and responds, my friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness and take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Okay, this new community is a place of restoration of all these of broken people in a spirit of gentleness. And, uh, but not anyone, right? It's you who have received the spirit. In other words, those who are now mature enough to bear that fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, all that stuff. Those are the ones who will restore such people in a spirit of gentleness. And then he says in the last sentence, take care that you yourselves are not tempted. In other words, um, uh, don't be as it's a warning against becoming too judgmental and self-righteous ourselves. That's what can happen too, right? We can start pointing fingers and saying, why are you like this? So only those who have received the spirit, um, should restore such people. So being a person of the spirit requires great personal maturity, self-insight, and personal character. So we can see that uh, building community in the spirit, it's such a long and difficult journey because we are all, um, we're just human, right? We have limited patience, limited self-control, limited gentleness. But ultimately, this community is a place of healing from the damage caused by continual loss of honor and dignity in our society and it's a place of restoration of honor a place of understanding and maturity so the church as the embodiment of this new beloved community this is what the church was really called to be this is what paul envisioned for his assemblies that he founded in essence, the beloved community uh, that Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed about is this new community that Paul was envisioning. I mean, in many ways, I'm so proud of our community uh, of St. Timothy. You know, I think uh, that through the many years of critically studying scripture and whatnot, we've been shaped by the Spirit to become more and more of a community of the Spirit, uh, a community where the fruit of the Spirit is more manifest. 
And so I'm thankful for that and I feel blessed by it and I'm hopeful. A challenging question that comes to my mind is this. Having come to where we're at now, um, is it um, entirely because we're such spiritual people or has part of this been made possible by uh, being those of very similar background to one another? Can we build this kind of community with those who are very different from us, from those of very different socioeconomic backgrounds and different racial backgrounds? And most poignantly for the purposes of this study, for those who bear the brunt of our society's systemic racism, namely our black brothers and sisters, would we be able to really create this kind of new community? And what emotions do we feel? What thoughts come to our mind when we ask these kind of questions? I think of these questions because uh, I'm realistic in one sense. I don't think our whole world will change overnight. But our belief is that in Christ, God brought forth a new creation. And those of us who have been called by God's grace are called to be active partners in bringing about this new creation through the formation of new communities. And this is our calling in a way for our every time and place. And I pray uh, that we may be faithful to this calling as well. Okay. So uh, with that said, uh, I have some questions that we can really think about. You know, what are you thankful for about our St. Timothy community? In what ways have we been blessed? Have we come to where we're at in part because of the similarity of our backgrounds? Can we build this kind of community with those who are very different from us, especially our black brothers and sisters who bear the brunt of systemic racism? If so, what are some steps we can take? And what emotions do you feel? What thoughts come to your mind as you think about these questions? Okay, so I'm gonna ask uh, Sarah to just um, 